I usually start uh, sermons with some sort of hook, a question, a news event, um, a story. But I want to start today's sermon um, with a moment of full disclosure. In a moment, I'll explore with you the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the scriptures. But I want you to know that my intent in that exploration is that you would be filled and transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. My prayer and purpose this morning is that you would experience the presence and the power of the Spirit more deeply than you ever have before. And here's why. Understanding the work of the Spirit without experiencing the work of the Spirit is like collecting and reading cookbooks and then eating gruel at every meal. And I'm afraid that a lot of us have a bunch of cookbooks and no experience of anything that's in them. And so my prayer is that you'll come to a deeper experience and not just a fuller understanding of the Spirit. So, please pray with me for our journey together. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and move in our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, and that you would come and manifest your presence in us and through us. So come, Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Make yourself known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want us to look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit through concentric circles, moving from inside of ourselves, our own hearts, all the way to the ends of the earth and actually beyond. And as we take the journey, I'm going to point to places in Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he speaks of the Spirit's work. And so if you want a follow-up to this sermon, I suggest you take the book of Ephesians and read through it carefully and slowly and note everything he says about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you some pointers as we go along. So at the deepest place, the ministry of the Spirit is about intimacy with God the Father. Paul says in Romans 8.14 that the Spirit cries in our heart, Abba, Father, Daddy, is a proper translation of that. This intimate relationship we have with God the Father, the creator of the universe, where we know him by this affectionate pet name, Abba, Daddy. That this intimacy with the Father is what the Spirit brings us because the Spirit cries that out in our hearts. In Ephesians, Paul says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that we belong to God. The image of sealing is you would go to Lowe's, you want to buy six tons worth of two-by-fours, but you drove your Volkswagen, and so you would say, I want to buy these, and you would put your seal on them. So you've paid for them. They're yours, and you know that because you're sealed. And so the Father has said to us, you're mine And I'm putting my seal, my spirit on you. You belong to me. That's an amazing thought. 
We're sealed by the Spirit. And later in chapter 1, he talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, the Father of glory. The Spirit gives us understanding and wisdom about who God is, the Father of glory, calling us into a deeper understanding and appreciation, knowledge, and experience of God and his love. And in Ephesians 2.18, it says that we have access to the Father through the work of Christ by the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that applies the work of Jesus into our lives in such a way that we have this intimate relationship with God. We have access to the Father. Now, think about that. How many of you have access to Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Donald Trump? Or pick anybody out there who's got power or wealth or authority or whatever. How many of you can just simply walk into any of their offices at any moment, day or night, and say, hi? But here's the thing. By the power of the Spirit, based upon the work of Jesus on the cross, we have access 24-7 to the Creator God of the universe. We have this intimacy with the Father that allows us at any moment to say, Daddy. That's the deepest work of the Spirit in the deepest part of our hearts. The next circle out then is personal transformation. I so appreciated the first part of the service. I hope you were here for that. And if you weren't, um, when we're done, rewind and catch the very beginning when we sang the song about the fruit of the Spirit. Because the next circle out from intimacy with Father is this personal transformation in which the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our lives. And so without stressing about it and without this kind of furtive anxiety, we become people who are known by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't strain it to do it. We just simply receive the work of the Spirit in our hearts as he transforms us into the image of Jesus. That's grace. And we just simply receive that. And so we have intimacy with the Father and we're being transformed Paul puts that in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5.18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And in the context of that, he's saying there's one way of living where you're functioning kind of by worldly values, the powers of this age, etc. But there's this other way of living that's living in the power of the Spirit. And so he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he describes how being filled with the Spirit transforms our relationships. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. All of those relationships are transformed because we're transformed. And so the first circle is intimacy with the Father. And the second circle is this personal transformation. And the third circle is that circle of relationships. And here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 22, that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
We are being built together as a dwelling place for God. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if God worked in such a profound way that on one particular Sunday, I don't care which one it is, one particular Sunday, everybody that encountered church, that showed up to church, walked away saying, oh my goodness, that was the dwelling place of God. We can transform the world if we are built together as a dwelling place for God. If this was a place where folks came and encountered the love of God, the grace of Jesus, the fellowship of the Spirit, if this was a place where we modeled and shone with his light and glory, where folks understood that we had this daddy relationship with the creator God of the universe and wanted it. We are being built together. It's a dwelling place for God. Where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're one body, a dwelling place for God. So, intimacy with the Father, personal transformation, the community, the body of Christ, these changed relationships. Then, mission. Jesus says, Acts 1.8, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea in all Samaria and the ends of the earth. This idea that when the Spirit comes, we will shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, as the Collect says for the second Sunday of Epiphany. We will be his witnesses. We will proclaim him. Now this proclamation immediately happens. Jesus says that to them. He ascends into heaven, sends the Spirit, and we have the story of Pentecost that was read just a few minutes ago. One thing that's easy to miss in all of the names that are hard to pronounce um, is that what Luke is describing is the coming together of these two great empires of the day, the Roman Empire in the West and the Parthian Empire in the East. And they came together just east of Judea, just east of Damascus, places that you read about in Paul's journeys. And these two nations that had spent centuries being at war were in the middle of an uneasy peace. And what Luke says is there are people from all nations, from these two great empires, that have come together and experienced the filling of the Spirit. They experience the proclamation of the gospel. And 3,000 are baptized, representing the whole world. The ends of the earth, literally, in their perspective. Now, when we witness, when we are witnesses, we witness through words and works, both. Jesus says to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. What we do matters, but words have to accompany it. Both of those need to go together. 
to be part of God's mission, our words and works must be grounded in the scripture and undergirded by prayer. And I'll say more about that in a moment. So those are the first four circles. The circle of our own heart, the circle of our character, the circle of our community, and the circle of the world. And so now we've got the circle to the ends of the earth. But there's one more circle. It's like Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, right? The circles have encompassed the ends of the earth, but there's a circle left that the ministry of the Holy Spirit intends to work in us and through us. This final circle we rarely talk about, but it's a central theme throughout Scripture. This is a a circle of ruling or wrestling, the, the powers and principalities that live in the heavenlies. So beyond the world, we have a ministry. So I want you to just notice this theme for a second. In the Garden of Eden, having dominion is the expression of God's image. And Adam and Eve are commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. In the new heavens and the new earth, the book of Revelation describes, we discover that part of our identity in Christ is to rule. The inner core of heaven, the elders and the four living creatures, sing this song to Jesus when he's revealed in the book of Revelation. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. At the very end of the book, we hear this. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They're sealed by the Spirit. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, what does this ruling mean for us? Well, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the final theme before saying goodbye is the theme of spiritual warfare. And oftentimes in Paul's letters, he saves kind of his point, the reason he's writing, to the very end. So Philippians is a thank you note for missionary support, but you don't know that until well into chapter 4. Likewise, I think he's building up to the place where he's saying to the Ephesians, I need you to know all of this stuff in order for you to do the thing you need to be doing, which is standing against the powers and principalities of darkness. And so he sets up this theme earlier in the book when he says in chapter 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, in the chapter before, we saw that Jesus has been raised up all the way to heaven, is seated on a throne next to the Father, at the Father's right hand. And what Paul says is, we, in Christ, are there with Jesus, seated on a throne, the place of ruling with Christ. So that's who we are. We are 
folks who have been raised in Christ and seated at the right hand of the sovereign God of the universe. Wow. Then he goes on and says in chapter 3, And through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we're seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father, and it's the Father's plan to manifest his wisdom through us to these powers and principalities. That's where Ephesians 6 then comes in. God manifests his wisdom through our wrestling and overcoming his enemies. So Paul says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now here's what I want you to hear. Paul's writing to a church, not to a bunch of individuals. He's writing to a community of people that are being brought together as a dwelling place for God. He's writing to a team. He's writing to a community of people. And so he's saying, we're going to stand against the schemes of the devil, not just in our quiet time, not in our personal lives, certainly that, but we're going to stand against the devil together as God's people. And then he goes on. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You cannot be listening to the news these days without seeing the powers and principalities the cosmic powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. They're just simply blatant. Now here's the problem. The temptation is to think that what's going on is only at a human level and that it's just these bad people that are doing bad things. Now certainly that's true. But here's the deal. These bad things being done by bad people are motivated and controlled by these cosmic powers. These principalities and authorities, these rulers. And know what Paul says. He says that we're not going to do battle at the human level. We're called to do battle, to wrestle with the powers, the heavenly powers. Part of our job to rule and to reign is to do battle with Satan. Now here's the deal. Our oldest ancestors, the first humans, blew it. They had a moment of battle. And instead of Adam picking up a shovel and hitting the snake on the head, they ceded their authority. But in Christ, we're seated at the right hand of the Father, enthroned, authorized, equipped, commissioned to this battle against the cosmic powers of darkness. And so then he says, no way you're going to do this on your own. And so he says, 
take up the whole armor of God. And then he describes the armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And then at the end of the list, he says this, and the sword of the spirit. Interesting. We've put on all of the defensive armor, and now we take up the offensive weapon. What is the offensive weapon? The word of God, the sword of the spirit. And then he tells us how to wield it. In the very next breath, he says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. The word of God in prayer. That's how we rule. That's how we do battle with Satan. We put on all of the other things. We put on righteousness. We put on salvation. We take up the shield of faith. We do all of that. But our warfare happens through the word of God in prayer, empowered by the Spirit. Notice the ministry of the Holy Spirit here. It's the, it's the sword of the Spirit. It's praying in the Spirit. Scripture and prayer are our weapons in the battle against the powers and principalities. Whatever we say or do as witnesses needs to be grounded, therefore, in Scripture and in prayer. We build each other up through the Word and through prayer. Every breakthrough we make in addressing our addictions, our brokenness, and our self-will will come through engaging God's truth, God's word in prayer. Intimacy with the Father is grounded in Bible reading and in prayer. In these days of pandemic and protest, Satan wants us to live in fear or anger or despair. It's important to note that Jesus, after Peter's confession, declared that the gates of hell would not stand against the church. You need to know this. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Never once in all of the history of mankind did the king of a city say to his army, Grab the gates. We're going to battle. Satan is on the defensive. He's behind his gates. We are the ones that have been commissioned to rule and to reign. We are the ones who have been empowered to manifest the wisdom of God to the powers and principalities by overcoming them through word and prayer. Our prayers are more powerful than we can imagine because they're empowered by the Spirit. So I want to pray for you. 
I want to pray for all of us that we would experience more fully the empowering of God's Spirit. Please pray with me. Father God, for those who have yet to receive your Spirit, I pray that they would believe in Jesus and that they would receive his baptism, the baptism of your Spirit. And Father, for those who need to be refreshed, who need a fresh filling of your Spirit, I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would take us deeper in our intimacy with you, that we would know your love, that you would be our daddy, our Abba. I pray, Lord God, that you would bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, not by our striving, but by your mercy and grace. And Father, I pray that you would knit us together as a dwelling place for you, that our community as a church, our relationships would shine something that the world longs for. Lord, I pray especially that you would break down the racial barriers among your people first and foremost. And then, Lord God, I pray that you would make us witnesses, that you would make us bold in our proclamation. And finally, Lord God, I pray that you would give us grace to walk into this call to rule and to reign and to wrestle with the powers and principalities, the rulers and authorities, the cosmic powers of this dark age. Give us grace as a community seated at your right hand, empowered by your spirit, guided by your word to tear down these strongholds. So Holy Spirit, come. Come do something new and fresh and amazing and transforming in our lives. We surrender ourselves to you, Jesus. As we pray in your holy name. Amen.